0: We can make a difference.
1: My name is King T'Challa, son of King T'Chaka. I am the sovereign ruler of the nation of Wakanda. And for the first time in our history, we will be sharing our knowledge and resources with the outside world. Wakanda will no longer watch from the shadows. We cannot. We must not. We will work to be an example of how we as brothers and sisters on this earth should treat each other. Now more than ever, the illusions of division threaten our very existence. We all know the truth. More connects us than separates us. But in times of crisis, the wise build bridges, while the foolish build barriers. We must find a way to look after one another as if we were one single tribe. With all due respect, King T'Challa, what can a nation of farmers have to offer the rest of the world?
2: Everyone, I'm Em and welcome to Verbal Diorama episode 68 Black Panther. This is the podcast that's all about the history and legacy of movies you know and movies you don't. And is there anyone, literally anyone on the planet, who doesn't know of Black Panther? I mean, this is probably very much a a movie you know. Uh, Regardless, uh, I hope that you are all remaining safe and well, especially with coronavirus cases on the rise. And since the last episode on Viva Vendetta, America decided to not re-elect Adam Suttler. Oh, I mean Donald Trump. Uh, <laughs> oh, controversial. Uh, and uh, and Viva Vendetta has been so well received and has some really great comments. Uh, and I think that's probably just a sign of the times and a, and the sign of the tension of the times as well. But I'm delighted to say that America prevailed and elected a new president. I'm not going to lie, this episode on Black Panther... It's, it's going to be big. <laughs> it's going to be long. And so I really just want to get into it um, because we're going from a masked vigilante to a masked hero. Uh, and like I said, I don't think there's anything bigger than Black Panther. I mean, well, there are a couple of movies that are bigger than Black Panther, but there's uh, so many reasons. It's award-winning. It's record-breaking. It's a celebration of Black history and Black culture. And for obvious reasons, this episode is probably going to be quite emotional uh it's going to be an emotional look into the legacy of this movie and this was an episode that was originally due to go out mid-september and uh i actually ended up swapping episodes between this one and death becomes her because it didn't feel right talking about black panther so soon after chadwick boseman's death and, and trust me, even now, like two months, two, three months later, um, this episode feels really raw and really emotional for me. Um, I can't even begin to thank Chadwick for what he gave us because this movie is genuinely so special. And Wakanda forever. Here's the trailer
1: I have seen gods fly,
0: I've seen men build weapons. That I couldn't even imagine. Uh huh. I've seen aliens drop from the sky.
1: Yeah. But I have never seen anything like this. How much more are you hiding? Hola. Let's go. go, go.
0: And bow down. We own yeah, we own yeah, we only get you started now, cause we own yeah. Everybody think they know me now, cause we own yeah. You and I'm my homie, cause we own
1: ya. I waited my entire life for this. The world's gonna start over. I'ma burn it all. What happens now? Determines. What happens? to the rest of the world. You will not be able to stay home, brother. You will not be able to plug in, turn on, and cop out. What's going on forever? The revolution will not be televised. Let's have
0: some fun.
2: Aftermath of Captain America's civil war and in the wake of his father, King T'Chaka's death, young Prince T'Challa returns to his secluded homeland in Wakanda to prepare for his coronation day. However, the new king will soon have to face the technologically advanced country's arch-enemy, the arms dealer Ulysses Claw, who is well aware of Wakanda's secrets and is determined to make a profit with the aid of Eric Stevens, the son of a ghost from T'Chaka's past, who now goes by Killmonger. Killmonger challenges T'Challa for the rights to the Wakandan throne and in doing so, changes T'Challa's view of the future of Wakanda. So, let's quickly run through the cast. Um, obviously, we have the wonderful, legendary, late Chadwick Boseman as T'Challa, or Black Panther. We have Michael B. Jordan as Eric Stevens, a.k.a. Undajaka, a.k.a. Killmonger. Lupita Nyong'o as Nakia, Danai Gurira as Okoye, Martin Freeman as Everett Ross, Daniel Kaluuya as Wakabi, Letitia Wright as Shuri, Winston Duke as M'Baku, Angela Bassett as Queen Ramonda, Forrest Whitaker as Yuri and Andy Serkis as Ulysses Claw. The movie was written by Ryan Coogler and Joe Robert Cole. It was based on Black Panther by Stan Lee and Jack Kirby and it was directed by Ryan Coogler. And while we've had live-action depictions of black comic book heroes before Black Panther in 2018, I'm talking with the likes of Blade in 1998. We will come back to Wesley Snipes in a little bit. Uh, we have also had Luke Cage uh, in his Netflix TV show, which debuted in 2016. But Black Panther came before both of them in comic book form, first appearing in Fantastic Four number 52 in July 1966, which interestingly predates the October 1966 founding of the Black Panther Party. Before then, there were black comic book characters, but none had any actual superpowers. So the character of Black Panther was created by Stan Lee, who was inspired by a pulp hero who had a Black Panther as a helper. Lee claimed in a 1998 interview that he wasn't thinking of civil rights. Uh, He just had friends who were black, worked with artists who were black, and it occurred to him that there were no black heroes. And Stan Lee... R.I.P. What a dude he was. Uh, He decided to change that. Black Panther wasn't the first black hero to headline a comic book. That honour goes to Dell Comics Western for their character Lobo, who was an African-American gunslinger in the Old West, and that debuted in 1965, so a year before Black Panther. To try to avoid ongoing connotations with the Black Panther Party at the time, his name was briefly changed to Black Leopard, ...for a guest appearance in Fantastic Four number 119 in February 1972... ...before ultimately returning back to the Black Panther name... Before his self-titled series, Black Panther starred with Captain America in Tales of Suspense numbers 97-99 to and Captain America 100 between January and April 1968. He then teamed up with The Avengers in May 1968 and guest appeared in Daredevil before receiving his first starring feature in Jungle Action number 5 in July 1973. And the following issue started a new series which was written by Don McGregor and McGregor really was the pioneer of the self-contained multi-issue story arc and that started with Black Panther in Panther's Rage which was created as a complete novel over two years which charts Black Panther's story and a revolution against King T'Challa in the hidden African nation of Wakanda. Jungle Action would also introduce Nda Jaka, aka Eric Killmonger as well as Black Panther facing off against the Ku Klux Klan. Black Panther, uh, with returning artist Jack Kirby, who went to work for DC for a short while uh, and then came back to Marvel, that series ran for 15 issues between January 1977 and May 1979. Jack Kirby worked on 12 of those before he left the series again, and he basically said that he wanted to do something new. He didn't want to work on a character that he'd already worked on. And that series was cancelled before being reissued under a collection of five mini series volumes, the most recent of which, Black Panther Volume 5, launched in February 2009. A brand new Black Panther series was launched in 2016 that was written by Tanahisi Coates and drawn by Brian Stelfries and is still published to this day. There are many links, many, many links, too many, with the X Men and Black Panther. Uh, I even mentioned it in the episode that I did on X-Men, which is episode 56. Uh, And the character of Black Panther has links with the X-Men in the comics, namely a relationship with Aurora Monroe, aka Storm. And you'll remember that in the X-Men episode, I mentioned that Angela Bassett was originally my choice for Storm when I was a kid. And so that's another lovely little link between this movie and that one. But anyway, so Black Panther eventually marries Aurora in the comics. There are many other links to X-Men, and I want to go into them later. But when it comes to the cinematic roots of Black Panther, we have to actually go to Blade himself, Mr. Wesley Snipes, because Snipes was a huge fan of the character. And in June 1992 announced he was going ahead with making a movie version of Black Panther after being approached by Marvel to do so. At the time, Snipes was box office gold, essentially. He'd starred in some big hits like White Men Can't Jump and Passenger 57. Uh, He worked on Demolition Man, which was released in 1993, before entering into talks with Columbia Pictures to portray the Black Panther, which he saw as a unique opportunity to tell a truly black story, away from cultural stereotypes, and to go back to the continent of Africa. Uh, as many African-Americans had had their African heritage and culture stolen from them. It was an opportunity to tell a story from and for the black community, as well as for the rest of the world. At the time, though, Marvel was kind of in pretty financial dire straits. Uh, They had already tried to sell the X-Men to Orion and Carol Co. before they both went bankrupt. And so they intended to sell X-Men and Black Panther to Columbia as a package deal. Several screenwriters and directors, including Mario Van Peebles and John Singleton, were approached, uh, as well as Stan Lee actually confirming his involvement with Black Panther in March 1994. But when nothing had materialised by January of 1996, Snipes blamed a poor understanding of the character by draft screenwriters. Uh, Basically, he had received some scripts and he wasn't very happy with them. And he basically said that many seemed to think that the movie was about the Black Panther Party rather than the Black Panther character. Uh, Obviously, they are very, very different things. Marvel would declare bankruptcy in 1996, and while Fox would ultimately gain the film rights to X-Men, Black Panther's big-screen debut would stall, mostly due to the elaborate special effects required. Wesley Snipes would, however, go on to star in Blade, which would become the first hit movie based off a Marvel property, giving Marvel a much-needed win post-bankruptcy. Two sequels would follow paving the way for X-Men to completely revitalise the comic book movie in 2000, followed by Spider-Man in 2002, which was obviously made by Sony. In 2005, um, so this was still pre-MCU as we know it, Marvel chairman and CEO Avi Arad announced Black Panther as one of ten films on the slate for the brand new Marvel Studios, which were to be distributed by Paramount Pictures. In 2007, Kevin Feige a.k.a. that production assistant from X-Men, announced Black Panther was in development and that July, John Singleton had been approached to direct. Snipes was still continuing to be involved at that point, but then he was convicted of tax fraud uh, and he went to prison and he served a sentence between June 2010 and April 2013. But during this time, seeds were still being sown for T'Challa's big screen debut. Obviously, in Iron Man 2... The nation of Wakanda is briefly shown on a holographic map and Vibranium had obviously been mentioned in Captain America the First Avenger with Wakanda being the source nation of Vibranium uh, mentioned in Avengers Age of Ultron but it wasn't until Captain America Civil War that we met T'Challa. Kevin Feige announced in October 2014 that Black Panther would be released on November 3rd 2017 with Chadwick Boseman cast as T'Challa. His breakthrough role as Jackie Robinson in 42 was released in 2013 and that was followed by emulating James Brown in the biopic Get On Up in 2014. Bozeman had always wanted to play Black Panther. He'd written journals about it and he believed that he was the right man to play the character and it was very much a case of he didn't call Marvel, Marvel called him. Uh, he didn't have to audition, and. It was a fully collaborative affair uh, with Marvel. He discussed ideas with them and he was fully committed to the character of T'Challa. He signed up to a five-picture deal with Marvel and that would obviously start with a small role in Captain America Civil War. It's worth noting at this point that even though Wesley Snipes was no longer involved, he supported the project completely and he also gave Bozeman his blessing. And I don't want to go too much into Captain America Civil War because... I want to save that for its own episode. Um, But T'Challa visits Vienna with his father T'Chaka as the Sokovia Accords are to be signed before a bomb goes off, killing the King of Wakanda and setting T'Challa on a path to apprehend the alleged bomber, Bucky Barnes. And in doing so, crosses paths with Captain America and Cap's defence of Barnes causes the, in inverted commas, Civil War, with T'Challa fighting on the side of Tony Stark in agreement to the regulations that the Accords would impose. T'Challa would stop Helmut Zemo, who was the real perpetrator of the bomb that killed King T'Chaka from committing suicide, as well as also providing sanctuary for Bucky in Wakanda, a.k.a. the first broken white boy that Shuri can fix. Kevin Feige explained that Black Panther was introduced in Civil War as an, an unbiased third party, someone who had a completely different view to either Steve or Tony, T'Challa was given a full arc in the movie, which set up his role in Black Panther to become King of Wakanda post his father's death. The death of his father remains something he felt an incredible amount of guilt for, but Civil War also sets him up as being a new generation. He says, and I quote, I am not my father. This is a theme that would resonate into Black Panther. Civil War would allow Bozeman to develop the Wakandan accent. Uh, There was originally talk of him having an American accent, which Boseman refused to consider, because why would an African prince who'd grown up in Wakanda speak with an American accent? Look, it makes no sense. Uh, He also worked with his on-screen father, John Carney, on the Wakandan language, which was based on the real Zosa language of South Africa and Zimbabwe. But even before T'Challa's appearance in Civil War, behind the scenes, Faye was speaking to directors for Black Panther. Ava DuVernay was approached in May 2015, uh, and she was basically given the choice of either Black Panther... Uh, or episode 2 of this podcast, Captain Marvel, but uh, DuVernay passed, and she basically passed due to differences of opinion on the story. By October 2015, both F. Gary Gray and Ryan Coogler were considered, and basically Gray won off to direct The Fate of the Furious, and at that point, negotiations with Ryan Coogler had cooled off. Joe Robert Cole, who was then a member of the Marvel Writers' Programme, was in talks to write the screenplay, and Marvel moved the release date forward to February 16th, 2018. And that was also to avoid a potential collision with Spider-Man. Ryan Coogler's sequel slash spin-off to the Rocky franchise, Creed, uh, which had been directed and written by him, and starred Michael B. Jordan as the son of Apollo Creed, Adonis Johnson Creed. Michael B. Jordan had also starred in Fruitvale Station, Coogler's directorial and writing debut, but Creed really got Marvel's attention, and Coogler was again approached to direct Black Panther. Uh, and this was eventually confirmed in January 2016. As part of the deal with Marvel to make Black Panther, Kugler brought with him many of his collaborators from Creed and Fruitvale Station, including cinematographer Rachel Morrison, production designer Hannah Beachler, composer Ludwig Goransson, as well as frequent star Michael B. Jordan. And let's quickly talk about the cast, because I did mention the cast at the top of the episode, because it is an incredible cast. Some of the best, brightest British, American and African acting talent, including Oscar winner Lupita Nyong'o, Denai Guerrera, Forrest Whitaker, Angela Bassett, Daniel Kalua, Letitia Wright, Sterling K. Brown, Winston Duke, uh, in a role that Yaya Abdul-Mateen II had also auditioned for in M'Baku, as well as John Carney, Sidel Noel, Florence Kasumba, and the cast dubbed them the Tolkien white guys which I'm sorry is the best pun that I've ever heard in my life um and that was because Andy Serkis and Martin Freeman uh, are both most well known for being in the Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit respectively so the Tolkien white guys <laughs> it's just it's great um Filming was due to start in January 2017 in Atlanta, Georgia, in Busan in South Korea, and the Iguazu waterfalls in Argentina, which is where the ritualistic trial by combat was performed. And I do want to talk about traditional rituals versus modern technology too, because Wakanda is this massive, beautiful dichotomy of tradition and modern, old and new, suppression and progression, and these themes run through the monarchy. The traditionalist King T'Chaka and just what lengths he will go to to keep Wakanda safe, and I say safe in inverted commas because that's his idea of keeping Wakanda safe, and the young King T'Challa, who believes in his father, believes in his father's vision and leadership, until he meets Killmonger, who's a forgotten Wakandan, who was left alone in California, and and this is a bitter and deeply resentful man. ...of the nation that murdered his father. But I want to go into that a bit later... ...and I I realise this episode is going to be a bit choppy... ...and I'm kind of going a bit back and forth... ...but there's so much... ...this episode is so Um, jam-packed... ...there's so much to talk about... ...because although this movie was not filmed... ...in Africa at all... ...the nation of Wakanda... ...is gloriously realised... ...and the look is rooted... ...in real African nations and culture... Uh, Ryan Coogler based Wakanda in part on Lesotho as well as the rarity of vibranium compared to the real-life mineral coltan which is only found in Congo. Each of the Wakandan tribes was based on real African tribes and the technology of Wakanda was formed as if it were natural to Africa rather than existing through colonization and again these themes of traditional wicker huts Sort of attached to these vast skyscrapers, mixes the traditional and the futuristic with this sort of relative ease. Like nothing ever feels out of place in Wakanda. Even the vibranium which fell to earth hundreds of years ago in its kind of mind for its metal is also found within the soil of Wakanda and the heart-shaped herb through osmosis with vibranium gives the consumer the power of the Black Panther. Even the Jabari who refuse the technology and unity of the Wakandan tribes still retain subtechnology in the design of M'Baku's throne room which is beautiful by the way everything everything in this movie is beautiful like there's nothing that's not beautiful in this movie the ancestral plane I mean with this kind of vibrant purple is realized again it's this dichotomy when both T'Challa and Killmonger see their fathers and just how different their experiences of this ancestral plane is uh with T'Challa in this beautiful African desert surrounded by panther ancestors and these are the people that were given proper burials um, and proper send-offs and then Killmonger in this apartment in Oakland with his father Jobu, alone because he was not allowed or afforded a proper Wakandan burial and we know these rituals are important to the Wakandan people we see Wakandan children taking part in these rituals—they are so important. It's important for Wakanda to pass its traditions and its rituals down to the children. Uh, But to see this kid, Eric, as a young boy with no tears for his father, stating that everyone dies eventually, and it kind of transforms this adult man who's clearly struggling with being abandoned by his family—and it's really hard. It's really hard to watch. And do you know what? I'm not even done talking about this movie. Uh, We're just going to keep going. We've not even got to the record number of listener comments yet. Uh, (laughs) We're just going to keep going. I'll admit that there are some things about this movie that aren't perfect. This movie is majority perfect. And I kind of feel like the visual effects are often seen as the biggest flaw with this movie and I've even admitted that I'm not the biggest fan of the final fight between Black Panther and Killmonger due to its kind of extreme CGI-ness um although I I will admit that I think that actually using the train to disable the suits it is a bit of a genius idea but but I will say that the majesty of Wakanda is breathtakingly realized um and that is mainly by industrial light and magic uh, but other companies involved in the special effects were Virtuos, Stereo D, Scanline VFX, Double Negative, Luma Pictures, Mammal Studios, Method Studios, Perception, Rise Visual Effects Studios, Torm Studios, Trickster, Cantina Creative, Lola VFX, Capital T, Exceptional Minds, Technicolor VFX, Rodeo FX, Image Loom VFX, Annie Brain, Method Pune, Bot VFX, Pickstone Images, Futureworks, Vertigo Visual, FX3X, Yannick's Thailand Co, Digital Domain and The Third Floor. That's how many companies were involved with the special effects of this movie. And the visual effects really took the time to be as authentic as possible to African culture. And it it is a breathtakingly beautiful movie. Considering this movie was not filmed in Africa, it looks like it was filmed in Africa. So uh, yeah, kudos to all those people. That beautiful bridge in Busan, though, that's real. It's the Guandandego Bridge, and it really lights up like that. And that bridge had to be closed for two evenings. I had to have traffic rerouted. But Busan was so proud of being involved with this movie that they erected two statues. Uh, they had two Black Panther statues in Busan uh, to commemorate the filming. But unfortunately, both have since been broken. Uh, one was by accident, and the other was a little bit more intentional. But it looks like that they've not fixed them yet, from what I can gather. But uh, hopefully, Busan will fix its Black Panther statues soon. I want to talk about the women of Wakanda. Because the MCU, as a cinematic universe, has not always treated its women right. Uh, Women are either sex objects, girlfriends, seen as mentally unstable, or as token minorities. There are a few exceptions to this rule, I would always advocate for Peggy Carter because I think Peggy Carter is so good in the first Avenger. She is one of my favourite characters in the MCU full stop and her show Agent Carter is just phenomenal as well. But overall, the MCU has not been kind to females. But the female characters of Black Panther are different. They are given character. They're given agency. They're given drive. And the most important thing, they're given stuff to do uh nakia is a wakandan war dog she is a spy uh at the start of the movie she is on an undercover assessment to free oppressed and enslaved nigerian women uh not once is nakia relegated to just being the girlfriend uh it's actually nakia who suggests that t'challa should open up wakanda to the world it's a shame that he chooses to listen to killmonger apart from her uh other than her uh Akwe, is the leader of the Dora Milaje they are the king's personal bodyguards Uh, they are all female special forces she is stoic she's a badass and she fights for Wakanda and that is despite who is leading Wakanda but when she sees what Killmonger has become she doesn't hesitate to turn on him for the sake of her country and additionally when her lover Wakabi turns on T'Challa and sides with Killmonger Okoye would kill him for Wakanda Uh, we have Shuri, who is the princess of Wakanda. She is the most intelligent person in the country, probably more so than Tony Stark. Uh, She is independent, she's innovative, and she also wants the country to be more modern and less traditional. And we also have Ramonda, the Queen Mother. She is protective of her children and her country, and she's, she's the graceful monarch. She's full of pride for her family and her people. But most importantly, not once is any female character objectified. They are multifaceted characters. They show compassion. And their physical prowess often bests the men as well. Um, It's a great symbol of the power of women, the power of black women, and the power of dark-skinned black women as well. Because a lot of the times, dark-skinned black women are not represented in media like this. It's important to show that It's black women who love themselves as much as their fellow Wakandans. None of these women are westernised in their look. They have natural hair. They have functional clothing with these beautiful details. Um, One of the things I really like about this movie is the Dora Milaje outfits I think are just so gorgeous. But they have these necklaces and they look like very traditional African necklaces. But they're also a form of armour. And it's just... The little details in the costuming of this movie and just the general look. You could stare at this movie. You could stare at the Dora Milaje and what they look like. It's just exquisite detail. It really is. And it's not just the women that this movie excels in. Because also for a long time, the MCU has been accused and found guilty (laughs) many times of having really awful villains. And I mean, I could name a lot (laughs) because there's a lot of them Um, and a lot of the time it's villains with motivations that you just simply can't understand it's like but why do you want to take over the world like what's your reason you have to have a reason to want to do something and a lot of the villains just don't seem to have a valid reason but Killmonger is treated differently Killmonger and T'Challa are essentially two sides of the same coin They both care deeply and passionately about their people, but the definition of their people differs. To T'Challa, it's the people of Wakanda. To Killmonger, it's all black people. T'Challa believes that Wakanda is always right and that his ancestors did the best for Wakanda. To Killmonger, Wakanda was the nation that murdered his father. T'Chaka was wrong to leave a young boy alone in California, Uh, he should have brought him back to Wakanda. There's no doubt about that. We can all agree that T'Chaka was wrong to do what he did. We can assume that Killmonger, as a small boy, as Eric Stevens, grew up in the care system. Uh, Because although we hear of his mother, we don't see his mother. Uh, And so we can only assume that he was with his father for a reason and that he probably grew up in care. To have no family roots, to be a product of a system that shows children little love, it's kind of no wonder that he grew up to be this deeply bitter young man. And it's no wonder that he's so insistent to set out to prove his father's homeland wrong. Even though he's Wakandan by birth, he is an outsider to Wakanda. But growing up in America has no doubt allowed him to feel the sort of racism and oppression that T'Challa simply never has. Because T'Challa has been in this Wakandan bubble. T'Challa only knows Wakandan people. So T'Challa would never have experienced racism. Because in Wakanda, there is no racism. Killmonger's very existence has been blighted by all of these terrible things that have happened to him over his life. And of course, he blames the country that killed his father. It just kind of adds to his pain and need for vengeance. And he literally wants to see the traditions of Wakanda burn for that very reason. Um, And going back to X-Men, the relationship between T'Challa and Killmonger is very similar to that of Professor Xavier and Magneto, uh, in a sense that they're both right to a degree, and simultaneously they're both wrong as well. Xavier and Magneto were, uh, and you'll remember this from episode 56, uh, they were based on Martin Luther King and Malcolm X, Uh, Obviously, both black civil rights activists who are ultimately fighting for the same thing, but in very different ways. There's a dichotomy there between T'Challa and Killmonger as well. But the difference being that T'Challa does see Killmonger's point of view uh, and he does agree with it. But it kind of takes his death for T'Challa to start making the changes that, that the world needs. The world needs Wakanda to be more open and to open its borders, and to share its knowledge, and to share its wealth. Uh, But T'Challa doesn't see that until Killmonger kind of points it out. Wakanda might be a fictional African nation, but the discussions about colonization are obviously very real. European nations were quick to try to colonize Africa, and that was mainly to gain access to resources, and in many occasions, literally take over the lives of the people who lived there. Uh, It's why so many African nations speak French and Dutch and, yes indeed, English. Uh, The argument for Wakanda remaining private and secretive meant that they could essentially avoid colonisation and become this technologically advanced sovereign nation without any colonising country's influence. But in this scenario where Wakanda is so rich in custom technology and wealth they never stepped in to help. Uh, They never stopped the African slave ships. Slaves who built the wealth of countries like America, but never reaped any of the benefits. Slaves who could have been freed by Wakanda had they stepped in. And obviously, this is a work of fiction. uh, But how many times have oppressed people been ignored by other countries who could help, but chose not to? You see it in Wakanda when they speak of refugees coming into the country and bringing their problems. But we see it in the real world where refugees flee war-torn nations, but are denied asylum in safe countries. And we see it in the UK. Families in boats, they cross the English Channel and they risk their lives on these dangerous seas to come to Britain for a better life. And many of these people drown. And I get it. There is an argument for resources in space. But let's not forget that these are human beings. They often have small children. We can't look at a fictional nation like Wakanda and think that they're wrong for not sharing their wealth or their technology or aid with the world when we're not prepared to do the same. And that's Britain, that's America, that's any first world nation who turns away people in desperate need. Yes, the previous kings of Wakanda were wrong. King T'Chaka was wrong to turn his back on the world and to turn his back on his nephew and deny his existence. Uh, But this is where we, the next generation, can do something. We can atone for the sins of the past generations who wouldn't help. And this is ultimately what T'Challa chooses to do. He sees his father as his father a man he loves and misses dearly, but also a flawed man. A flawed man who made mistakes. But T'Challa is in a position to make amends for those mistakes. He might have struck the fatal blow to his cousin, but he deeply regrets it. You can tell he regrets it. He takes him to see the sunset that he so desperately wanted, and he offers to heal him. Um, T'Challa is a good man and a good king. And this is why... And I feel like I've gone on for a while, but this is why Black Panther feels deeper than a regular superhero movie. It transcends that mantle of superhero movie. It does kind of take it to a bit of an ancestral plane, really, of deeper meaning. And superhero movies work when we can relate to them. And I mentioned this in Captain Marvel, that I see Captain Marvel and I can relate to that. I can relate to being told, you can't do this, you should smile more mainly by men, um, but the same with Black Panther, anyone can relate to this movie, on another level, of what is right, and what is wrong, and <laughs> I mean, I don't think I really need to tell you, that I, I really, really love this movie, there's just, it, there's just so much, delicious content in this movie, and there's so much, that I haven't even covered, because let me tell you, the notes for this movie, I I don't know if it's the longest, I'll have to check actually, If it's the longest, um, where my notes are concerned anyway. But this is going to be so packed. And I haven't even finished because we need to talk about the obligatory Keanu reference first and foremost. We know what's important in these episodes. Um, So the obligatory Keanu reference is basically a little thing that I like to do to try and link the movie that I'm featuring with Keanu Reeves. And now, obviously... Keanu is not in Black Panther. But news sites have this thing that they like to do and it's called clickbait. And certain news sites, not all news sites, but certain news sites like to uh, elaborate on maybe movie castings, suggest that people might play a certain character. And I'll be completely honest, all of this stuff is clickbait. But Keanu has been mooted to play the following characters. Namor, Brute, Doctor Doom, uh, and they were all linked to a Black Panther sequel. And I mean, at this point, you kind of think, well, maybe news sites just make up rumours for Keanu because they get the clicks. And to be honest, they probably do. Uh, But I mean, if anyone can play any role in any comic book movie, and if the internet can will it so, it will be Keanu Reeves. I just want to quickly, and this is not going to be quick, I'm sorry. Uh, (laughs) Nothing in this episode is going to be quick. But I want to talk about the music because the score was by Ludwig Goranson. He is a frequent collaborator of Ryan Coogler, as I said. He decided to visit Africa to research African music, because I don't know if you can tell by the name, Ludwig Goranson, he is not African. Uh, He travelled with Senegalese musician, Baba Mal, on tour, and he was drawn to the Talking Drum for T'Challa's theme, and to the Fula Flute for Killmonger's theme, because you'll notice those themes are very different. Um, His score remains one of my favourites in the whole MCU. Again, it kind of calls to these traditional African beats, but then with these really kind of modern horn section as well, uh, Baba Marl features on the track Wakanda. Uh, Kendrick Lamar produced this soundtrack for the movie with original songs by himself. Goranson and Lamar collaborated on the soundtrack together and three singles were ultimately released. Uh, They were All the Stars featuring Scissor King's Dead and Pray For Me featuring The Weeknd. All the Stars was nominated for Best Original Song at the 76th Golden Globes and the 91st Academy Awards, as well as four Grammy nominations. We need to talk about the release of Black Panther. We need to talk about the money that Black Panther made. Um, So it was eventually released on February the 16th, 2018 in the US. And surprise, surprise to no one, it debuted at number one. And it remained at number one at the US box office for five weeks. It took $291 million in its first week alone, which is impressive. I mean, it's impressive anyway, but that was $91 million more than the movie cost to make. So it basically made back its budget in (laughs) in the first couple of days. It would be dethroned from the US box office number one in its sixth week by Pacific Rim Uprising. However, that movie only took $11 million more than Black Panther that week. Um, So it wasn't really a trouncing in any respect. And uh, I am not the biggest fan of Pacific Rim uprising. I much prefer the first Pacific Rim. So Black Panther was nothing short of a behemoth. After earning back its budget in less than seven days, it would go on to make $1.35 billion worldwide. It became the highest grossing solo superhero movie the fifth highest-grossing film in the MCU, the highest-grossing film by a black director, the second highest-grossing film of 2018, the first would be Avengers Infinity War, and the ninth highest-grossing film of all time. And that's not all. Critically, it's the highest-rated MCU movie on Rotten Tomatoes, with 96% fresh. On Metacritic, with a score of 88, is also the highest, and is one of three MCU movies to retain an A-plus rating on CinemaScore, And that is tied with Avengers Endgame and The Avengers. But wait, there's more. So, awards season came round. And Marvel decided to put Black Panther forward for a Best Picture nomination. Um, And it didn't just get a Best Picture nomination. It got a total of seven Academy Award nominations. Uh, That included Best Picture, Best Original Score, Best Original Song, Best Costume Design, Best Production Design, Best Sound Editing and Best Sound Mixing. Uh, It would win three Academy Awards for Best Original Score, Best Costume Design, and Best Production Design, all of which, I concur, they are all bloody marvellous. It would win a BAFTA for Best Visual Effects, and be nominated for three Golden Globes for Best Motion Picture Drama, Best Original Score, and Best Original Song. Black Panther would win a total of 90 awards out of the 226 it was nominated for. I mean, these are numbers that Marvel just don't get. Marvel movies do not get <laughs> awards nominations at this level. Commercially, it's a behemoth. Critically, it's a behemoth. Financially, it's a behemoth. Fans love it. Everyone loves this movie. I don't. I genuinely don't know anyone who doesn't love this movie. Uh, I mean, we'll find out because we've got some comments. Um, the character of Black Panther would go on to feature in Avengers Infinity War and Avengers Endgame uh, where the Wakandan battle cry ibombe BAY! is called on the final assault of Thanos it's one of the best moments in the movie i mean when i see black panther come through that portal i i got chills when you see the wakandan army i was just i was beside myself i mean i was beside myself with avengers endgame anyway the Avengers movies are something that I really do want to cover on this podcast because I am a big fan. And I've said before about covering the MCU that it's something that I really do want to do, but I wanted to make sure that there was a good variety of different stuff on the podcast. Um but there is more MCU coming. Uh I'm not going to say when. I'm not going to say what, but there is more. Um and it's something that I do want to do more of and I definitely want to cover the Avengers movies. But I want to cover them when the time's right. And I appreciate that the time may never be right to cover the Avengers movies. But Avengers Endgame is something else. It makes me so emotional to watch movies like Avengers Infinity War and Avengers Endgame post Black Panther. Um And especially... Post the death of Chadwick Boseman. That's one of the reasons why I don't want to specifically talk about Black Panther 2 in this podcast. Because I don't feel like it's right. Um, Because nothing has really been announced. And some of the listener comments uh, that I'm going to be mentioning shortly do mention Black Panther 2. And about what they want for Black Panther 2. But I don't want to speculate. Uh, I don't want to think... About a Black Panther movie without Chadwick Boseman. And I don't know what Marvel are going to do. But I just don't feel like it's right to talk about it in this episode. I want this episode to be focused on Black Panther. And I want this episode to be focused on Chadwick Boseman. And I'm going to be talking about Chadwick Boseman at the end of this episode. I'm going to try really hard not to cry. (laughs) But but in the meantime, I want to go on to social media thoughts. Because... There are a lot. This is the most comments that I've ever had genuinely twenty seven actually that beats the Rocketeer, which had twenty five I believe. so I'm just gonna plow through them because there are a lot uh one of them is particularly long um and I've had to cut it down considerably because it was so long. Let's just go into it. so Twitter we have at movie reviews in. Who is Sam from Movie Reviews in 20 Qs? Who I actually did an episode on Pacific Rim with, and it's very good. Uh, we had a lot of fun. He says, For roughly a middle hour of the film, it's the best thing that's ever been put out by Marvel, including a one shot that left me spellbound. The rest of the film is good, it just suffers from a bit of by the number storytelling. Cast is phenomenal, a solid eight out of 10. At Sean Geek Podcast said, Black Panther changed the cinematic landscape, changed the MCU, changed superhero movies and changed the way we think of movies. There is no fault in this movie, no missed line of dialogue, no missed opportunity. Perfect? Oh yes. Aunt Nicole's Kitchen said, An excellent film outside of its woefully bad CGI cliched comic book end battle. Bozeman and Michael B. Jordan absolutely shine. Also, how good is Andy Serkis in literally everything? Amazing production design. The film that made me briefly care about MCU movies again. At SpyHards said, Arguably one of the best, if not the best, of the MCU introduction movies. Not only does this film benefit from a fantastic performance by Chadwick, it also features a stellar cast and potentially one of the best villains in the 20-odd MCU films. A must-watch. At The Midnight Myth said, My favourite MCU movie. Exhilarating and fresh with Shakespearean overtones. We miss you, Chadwick. At CBKCast said, On first viewing, I thought it was a solid film but wasn't blown away. Went back the next week and felt like I was seeing an entirely new film. I was in awe of the set pieces, character development, costumes, cultural representation and the performances. Phenomenal. At AFC Film Geek said, Chadwick Boseman and Michael B. Jordan are so good in this. Killmonger has understandable motives for wanting the crown. Letitia Wright brings some great comedy moments too. Very worthy of Marvel's first ever Best Picture nomination, Wakanda Forever. At Long Talks said, A movie that transcends and destroys the illusion that black casts can't draw crowds outside of America. Some of the best acting in an MCU movie, tremendous production design, a thrilling soundtrack and a cultural phenomenon that will live on forevermore. Wakanda forever. At Russlove's Movies said, I rewatched this after Chadwick passed away and it is still an amazing achievement with rich world building, a compelling narrative and, in my opinion, the best villain in all of the MCU. At Syndemic Nerds said, Gets better with every watch personally, Chadwick will be missed. At Black Girls Do Stuff said, This was such an incredible movie for so many people, but especially the black comic book and comic book movie lovers that didn't know if they'd see themselves in a film. Wakanda was everything many of us dream of and it was massive for the culture. Love it and Chadwick so much. At Derek Jones198 said, So much to say about this one. The movie deconstructs colonialism while telling a narrative that feels ripped from an ancient Greek tragedy. It somehow balances being so very new and old at the same time. It truly is one of a kind. Wakanda forever. At Dan Napolitano said, I was pretty down on this movie until this year. It would have really helped to see more of Killmonger's life experience, especially the things he learned outside of Oakland. Exposition dumping is boring, but I get it. At Action B rated said, I believe Black Panther marked a significant point when it comes to diversity in Hollywood. The movie, despite critics and being accused of trying to push an agenda, I believe it was an amazing and refreshing experience. I loved it. A universe where a majority of its superheroes are predominantly Caucasian, even despite changes such as Fury being transformed into being of African-American race, played by the legendary Samuel L. Jackson, Black Panther is amazing and worthy representation and gave me a special side look into the MCU storyline. In conclusion, I was honoured to be given a chance to look into his origin story and how he ties perfectly into the MCU. Rest in peace, Chadwick Boseman. Uh, Rachel Herrera 11 said, I remember being in awe of the beauty of this film. It had so many layers. The characters are flawed and complex. The action, cinematography, costumes, set design, makeup, all spectacular. By far my favourite Marvel Universe film. Hashtag RIP Chadwick Boseman. At aural underscore MFC said, I haven't given it a rewatch since we lost Chadwick, but I cried when he appeared in Endgame. I hope they pay honour to his passing in Black Panther 2 and hand the suit to Shuri, Wakanda forever. At Jamie underscore Filmmaker said, There are several scenes in Black Panther that are outstanding, but that death scene is unforgettable. It's at least in the top five of all time death scenes. At Gundam underscore Driver said, I felt the first act was a good superhero movie, but nothing remarkable. The last two acts, though, were a great superhero movie. Aside from some dodgy CG in the final battle, it was a remarkable movie with the most compelling villain since Loki. At So I'm Watching said, The absolute least of Black Panther's legacy is introducing the colour purple to the MCU. Everything is purple and it makes me so happy every time I watch. At Best Film Ever Pod said, I'll argue that Infinity War was the better film but that Black Panther was the more important film. This film was a cultural shift to what the film industry thought the audience would accept. Bozeman is note perfect as T'Challa but Michael B. Jordan steals the film as Killmonger and may be the best MCU villain to this point, if he even is a villain. Black Panther was so much more than comic book fodder. Its narrative was nuanced and complicated and was all about the shades of grey. Shame about the CGI fest in the third act, though. At Andy Williams 250 says, Not only does he inspire hope and a new vision of a superhero to so many, Coogler's script doesn't skimp on character action or heart. The fact that Killmonger in another film could be seen as the good guy is testament to this. Amazing performances and cinematography, too. At Geek Salad Radio said, The world building in Wakanda was top-notch, so much so that it made you feel like it was a real country, a major leap in the genres of comic book and black filmmaking, and Letitia Wright gave a star-making performance that I hope gives her the mantle of the Black Panther. At Kevin underscore the critic said, The movie itself is solid, entertaining, but flawed. The impact it had on cinema is monumental. Doesn't make the film perfect, but its impact is something I will always respect. At Remedy underscore RPM said, Agree with this. It was hyped up way too much. Its cultural significance on the modern Hollywood blockbuster cinema is huge though. At Your On Claude Nine said, It's a great film. Ramonda joins Frigga as our Queen Mama. I loved seeing minorities in a positive role on screen. And moving over to Instagram, because there's more... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> at fwm underscore pod said the epicness of this movie cannot be overstated not only is it important for so many young children across the world to finally see themselves in a Marvel character the journey it takes us on is one of great importance we see vulnerability in T'Challa when he loses to Michael B Jordan initially and it is the road back to the throne that I find the most compelling 11 out of 10 at the coolness chronicles said It has a couple narrative contrivances that keep me from using the word masterpiece, but I will never forget the genuine thrill of being in a packed theatre feeling that something revolutionary was happening, that I was surrounded by people who felt represented by this superhero culture for the first time was exhilarating, and knowing that Ryan Coogler had instantly become the in-demand visionary I felt he deserved to be when I saw Fruitvale Station and Creed was a bonus because I always support other Ryans. And finally, over on Facebook, we have Harrison from the Basement Binge podcast, Who said, Black Panther had what's been a movie I like but never had much to say about, good or bad, until I was recently able to rewatch it for The Basement Binge. This time around, I saw so much more. I appreciate Kevin Feige allowing Ryan Kugler so much freedom with this story. It would have been very easy to leave this as a film that is just fun. Man oh man, is this film so much fun? I'm not black, but that isn't why T'Challa's journey is so relatable, and that isn't why Killmonger has a point. These emotions land and stick with me because of the feelings and ideas have validity grounded in reality. The story presents a struggle of race quite strongly and it lands well. The idea of an all-powerful, technologically advanced African country that could suddenly emerge solving all our problems of inequality and racism is quite nice to hope for, but most definitely fantastical. But Wakanda isn't so much as a country than an idea that we are all one single tribe. I may never feel that Black Brotherhood, that others might, but I don't have to. The performance of Chadwick Boseman made me feel truly that I was a part of that tribe and that there is more that connects us than separates us. That my part in this battle of prejudice is something I can and should have a more active part in. If that was something we could all believe and live, Wakanda wouldn't be that far away. It's something I think about frequently, especially with the tragic passing of Chadwick Boseman. Thank you to everyone, and I mean everyone, all 27 of you, for, <laughs> for your thoughts on Black Panther. Uh, I mean, it's, it's quite incredible to have that many thoughts. Um, and this episode is running quite long, but I still have more to say, so I'm gonna. Black Panther has proven, if we needed proof, that black stories matter, and that black stories sell. and Oh boy, do they sell! Um, black stories are interesting black stories are powerful black stories can be enjoyed whatever colour your skin is and it's important to note this isn't just any old story with black characters it's a truly African story brought to life by a majority black cast a black director and black people working behind the scenes the importance of this movie cannot be overshadowed it didn't just give little black boys and girls a hero that they could relate to it gave us all a hero that we could relate to. It gave us someone as honourable as Captain America, as technologically advanced as Iron Man, but someone who could change his point of view and understand what it means to be a true leader of his people. Um, and I want to finish this episode by talking about Chadwick Boseman. Um, when I scheduled Black Panther, and this was way back in the spring of this year, I uh I never in a million years thought I would be doing a Black Panther episode <sighs> with a tribute at the end especially not for Chadwick He was strong he was filled with passion We could never in a million years watching this movie or any other movie that he'd been in. He was fighting cancer while he was starring as T'Challa. It still makes me so emotional. While he was visiting sick children in hospital and he was making their lives so filled with joy by visiting, he was suffering his own medical struggle and... Throughout it all, he remained a beacon of joy and a symbol of hope. Um, He embodied Black Panther so completely, he felt perfect from day dot. He was just 43 years old when he died, and yet it feels like he's left his indelible mark on the world, something that our children will remember. Um, His life may have been short, but it was impactful. And it means so much to so many. His legacy lives on in movies, but mostly Black Panther. And when T'Challa says the line, I am not dead, it floors me because, not that he's gone, but because he's not. He's still here. Through the medium of this film. And when he says, we are all one tribe, he means it so to Chadwick wherever you are in the spiritual plane thank you Wakanda forever I uh I just had to take a moment and I am not going to re-record that because emotion is one of the greatest gifts that we have and if a performance in a film can make you express emotion then it's worth it that's the point um and this film makes me it fills me with so much joy but it's so sad that we will not see him do this again And so I am just going to leave that in. I'm going to leave all of this in. Because you've just got to carry on. And, and thank you for listening. <laughs> thank you for listening to me cry. Um, I knew this would be an emotional episode. I didn't think it would be quite that emotional. But, okay. Uh, as always, I would love to hear your thoughts on Black Panther. I would not like to hear your thoughts on me crying. Uh, (laughs) If you like this episode, obviously, why would you not? I cry at the end. Um, Then (laughs) give me a rate and review on Apple Podcasts. Uh, Ideally not, she cried, um, because, well, it happened. Um, and, And obviously, thank you to those who have recently given me some really great five-star ratings um tell your friends about this podcast don't tell them I cried um if you like this episode on Black Panther uh you might also like uh episode two Captain Marvel uh like I said it's a short episode it's a mini mini episode it's not really it's not really something that I actively promote but you might as well Uh, episode 32 Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse um because it's another great black superhero movie and it's just exquisitely animated it's perfect episode 56 x men um i've obviously recommended that a few times on this episode um and uh, and uh, if you like if you like me crying then um why not also download uh, episode 19 on logan because uh, i cry a little bit in that one as well um give me feedback on my episode recommendations uh, let me know if you think I got it right. Uh, especially Logan for the crying. The next episode, I will not cry. Uh, I promise. Um, oh dear, okay. Uh, I am probably not going to live that down. But do you know what? That's real. That's raw. That's emotion. And the next episode is a return to the podcast for the always incredible Charlize Theron. And it's probably one of her best, uh, most physical roles that isn't Mad Max Fury Road. Um, and believe me when I say... Mad Max Fury Road is definitely on my list. But I really wanted to cover a spy movie. um, And something that was a bit more kind of neo-noir as well. Uh, And so the next episode is going to be on Atomic Blonde. And I love Atomic Blonde. I think it's great fun. Uh, I love the fact that it's like an espionage spy thriller. I love the soundtrack. I love Charlize. I love James McAvoy. So, uh, So yeah, hopefully you'll join me for Atomic Blonde. You can follow me on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram and Letterboxd at Verbal Diorama. Uh, you can sign up to support the show if you wish uh, on patreon.com slash Verbal Diorama. So the tiers start at $2 or £2 a month and you get perks. And I'm looking at ways to give patrons even more. And so I'm running this thing called 20 in 2020. I am looking for a further seven patrons to sign up. Um, and so, uh, yeah, if you fancy it, sign up on Patreon more cool stuff is going to be coming for patrons. And a massive thank you to the patrons of this podcast. They are Simon E, Sharday, Hardy L, Claudia, Simon B, Laurel, Derek, Jason, Kristen, Kat, Andy, Mike, Griff and Luke. Thank you so much for being awesome. Patrons forever. You can check out my merch store if you want. It's teespring.com store slash verbal diorama. Uh, you can buy t-shirts, mugs, hoodies, Christmas, if you want. Um, you can also get in touch with me, verbaldiorama at gmail.com. You can say hi, you can fill out a contact form on verbaldiorama.com. Um, and I write for film stories, so there's a magazine, a new issue has just come out. Uh, I also write bits online as well, so you can check out the website, click on some links, generate some revenue, all of that good stuff. Um, and finally, Chadwick, you are loved, you are missed, you are our hero. And it seems fitting to finish with Ludwig Göransson featuring Barbara Marle, uh, Wakanda from the Black Panther score. Every time I hear it, I think of Chadwick Boseman. Bye.